Very pleased to have uh, Nick Knight uh, here with me, former England uh, great as well as uh, current broadcaster. Uh, how are you doing? I, I hope your family and you are safe and healthy, uh, Nick. Yes, no, we're, we're all good, thanks. Um, there's been a bit of an outbreak of uh, COVID at the school where the two young kids are, but they're all fine, thankfully, and um, hopefully it's going to sort itself out soon. But yeah, great to be here in Mumbai, and I'm, I'm delighted. Thanks for calling me a great. I, I, I'm not so sure I go down as a great, but, but I'll take it from you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> You're being modest. Yeah. Now, you've had an interesting career as a, as a player and a broadcaster with a, with a successful run in ODI cricket, Nick. I mean, uh, 100 games for England, carrying your bat through the England innings uh, in Nottingham in 1996 against Pakistan. Uh, any memories of that 125 not out, please? Uh, well, lots. How long have you got? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was actually on the back of a, a hundred I scored, I think, was it the day before or two days before? I mean, that, I can't yeah, quite back remember. Back-to-back hundreds, you're right. Back-to-back yeah. hundreds. Um, so, of course, to get the hundred at Edgebaston before Trent Bridge, the one you're talking about, it was a massive boost, really, to, I think it was my second game. I mean, I, I got hundreds in the second and third matches I played. So, the implications of that are massive, obviously. It makes you feel amazing about what you're trying to achieve it makes you feel very welcome it makes you feel like you belong um you're not scrapping around for that sort of big breakthrough moment that can sometimes take years i, I was very lucky that it happened within a couple of games so the impact of that was massive um it settled me down in international one day cricket for quite some time it gave me a bit of credit in the bank as well which which means that if you have that dreaded sort of period where you don't score you've got a bit of a backing from the team and the management and it was just really anything more than a self-belief, the fact that you, you you can imagine you're growing up as a young kid thinking, am I ever going to play for England? I'd love to play for England. My, my ultimate dream is to play cricket for England. And then you finally get that chance. And and when you do, you, I wasn't, you know, I never saw myself as a great, great player. And I never had that huge self-confidence that I was just going to enter international cricket and score runs for fun. I, I, I never dreamt that that would happen and so to actually score runs in that second and third game it gave me that as i say that huge self-belief and it was just a dream really well other than that uh, 125 we just spoke about uh, there have been four other hundreds in odi cricket you averaged over 40 runs which is quite impressive by odi standards would you pick out any of the others as standout ones nick it's difficult to pick him out because uh, I scored 100 against uh, my mate Glenn McGrath, who's in the next room over there. He, he um, That was at Sydney. That was a, a special moment. Scoring a, in the era that I played in, to score 100 against Australia was a great, great moment. Uh, I suppose in, in, any, in any era, but you had McGrath or Warren, etc. So, so that was pretty special. Uh, 100 in, in Delhi uh, against India with Harbhajan Kumble. The great Indi- one of the great Indian sides. So, so again, that will go down as a, a special moment. I think all hundreds that you score for England are particularly special. But in the era that I played in, absolutely, some of the some of the bowling lineups that we were up against was pretty special. And, and actually, people say say that to me now. They say it depends on what era you played in can, can have a measure of, of success that you have in that era, depending on what bowling attacks are. And I, I have no regrets that I played in an era where. Yeah, some of those bowling attacks were, were, were very special because you, you get a chance to do this, look back and say, well, I scored 100 against McGrath and Warren and Kumble and Harbhajan and, and it's pretty special, really. 
you also faced the fastest recorded delivery ever in Newlands, South Africa, in 2003, Shoaib Akhtar, uh, the bowler. Or was it just a blur, Nick? Or do you have memories of the ball? Or perhaps what happened leading up to that ball in that over, perhaps? And your interactions with Shoaib uh, before or since, he's quite a character, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a good mate, actually. And... Um, we would have chats before that game and we played quite a bit against each other. When we, I think we first came across each other in sort of England A, Pakistan A, a tour of 95. So we, we go back a little bit. And actually, before we go talk about the actual incident and the over, I'll take, I'll take you even further back, actually, because um, I was obviously watching the World Cup part of it. He was bowling so quickly, a great rhythm. bowling In all the games he played, he was flying through. So I, I said, right, I, I'm going to open the batting here. I, I'm not, I normally had just a little forward press in my technique. And I thought, no, this is not going to work. Shogun's bowling so quickly. I'm going to have to just alter that slightly. So in the nets before the game, etc., I decided I'd go back and across right onto my stumps and give myself as much chance to face whatever it was. Not, I, mean, I thought it'd be somewhere around 95 plus, but it, you know, that was the sort of speed he was bowling at. So I was sort of stuck right at the back of my stump, ready just to defend. And as it happened, he bowled virtually every ball in that position. He didn't really pitch one up at all. Everything was in that position. But actually, before we got to the game, I was quite a nervous batsman. So I'd like to get to the ground early. And I sort of almost took a taxi rather than the team bus, get there early, get out onto the ground, get bat in hand. So I did that in Newlands that day. So there was, a, I think there was just a couple of stewards either side of me on the ground. No one, no spectators. It was about three hours before the game started. There was me with my bat just practicing out in the middle of Newlands just practicing some shots and the next thing I hear and this is a true story next thing I hear is this pitter patter of spikes coming down from the Newlands dressing room and it's showing back to I see him from a distance and he goes to the end of the mark which is by the side screen no ball in hand just tracksuit and I've got my tracksuit on and he steams in pretending to bowl bowls the well doesn't bowl but runs through the action comes down to me and I'm just standing there and he goes I won't say the exact words but he said I'm going to bowl extremely quickly at you today and that's exactly what he did of course I and mean, we had a bit of a laugh he tells the story that i said make sure you pitch it up i'm not sure i can't remember that far back i don't know <laughs> if i did but either way it was uh, it was pretty quick but as i say most balls were just there and actually the 100 mile an hour ball was, was actually in that position there so i just sort of deflected it off and the other problem was i couldn't get down the other end i was desperate to get down but marcus Triscothic and michael vaughan were just not not playing the game. They were just sitting on their backhand, the backhand, like the non-strikers, and saying, "You're doing okay, pal. You carry on." So it was a, it was a great memory. And it's um, quite a story there. Yeah, the two two fun. cricketers in their civils, one without a ball, <laughs> the other yeah. with a bat. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was just odd because you can imagine the scene. You just sort of set your scene. You've got two yeah. cricketers on the pitch with nobody else bar a couple of stewards, <laughs> and we're just having a chat. And of course, what what unfolded was was a bit of fun after that. Yeah. Your highest test innings, Nick, was also against Pakistan. It's 113 in Eddingley, 1996. Uh, talk us through that one. Well, that that was, a spe- I, I mean, you gave the eras that we played, I guess it's pretty much the same now, but certainly in the era I played, test, test cricket was just the ultimate dream for any kid growing up to play test match cricket. So again, a bit like what I said about um, about the one-day international scoring 100 in, in my second game, I didn't have quite... The start in Test match cricket, I think I scored a, a 50 quite early on. But I was generally regarded as an opener. I opened in county cricket. And so when I first got my opportunity in Test match cricket, it was an opener. But actually looking back, I think I was more suited to bat number six. 
And in that test match that you're talking about, I batted number six. It was one of the early times I batted number six. It just gave me a bit of breathing space. It was a, it, my, technically, the, I was at times I struggled and it just took away the new ball a little bit. So I batted number six in that game. And I think I was 50-odd not out overnight and managed to complete my 100. A square cut against Wazim Makram down to the old pavilion at Headingley. Just the most amazing moment, just looking back now and to think, you know, I'm disappointed I didn't score more test hundreds. But to say you scored one was a pretty special moment against you know, one of the great attacks. You had Wakar steaming in from one end. You had Wazim Akram. You had Sakhalin Mushtaq. You had Lil Mushi Bowling, Mushtaq Ahmed. So you had trials against the seamers, the reverse swing, the spin, the leg spin. You, you had it all. And so, yeah, it was incredibly special to get 100 in, in that game. Nick, you're also acknowledged as, as a world-class fielder, uh, whether at third slip, the gully, or short mid-wicket, maybe even as a cover sweeper. Um, did you train as hard as, as the boys do these days? I mean, current cricketers, or is it just great instinct? I mean, Sonny Gavaskar keeps talking about how in the 80s, at least, you know, when he was playing, it used to be like, uh, you know, a couple of nice, sweet little jogs around the park yeah. and you're ready to go. But, you know, things changed in the 90s and the, and the 2000s when you were playing. But did you train as hard as the boys do these days? Yeah, uh, well, I'm not, do you know what, I'll say it quietly. I, I don't think we did, but what we did was feel that we did train incredibly hard because everything evolves, doesn't it? And so we trained harder than the era before us, and they probably trained harder than, than our era. But, see, I caught the end of Graham Gooch's philosophy. I mean, Graham was, was, was a great hero of mine. I'm over batting with him once, not for England. He was the era before me, but for Essex. And he really sort of engendered this, 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 the physical nature of the game. So training, that physical training helped mental training, et cetera, et cetera. So I just caught the end of that. And so I was influenced by that massively. And so my uh, preparation for games was very much the physical side, gym work, training, stamina. And I think that had a huge impact on my fielding, without doubt, because I was an athlete. You know, in those days, I say, in those days, I was an athlete. And, and therefore, if you've got good movement and you can move, whether it be slips or in the covers, you, you had a chance of being a good athlete. You had a chance of being a good fielder. And so had I played in a different era, I, I don't know whether I would have been quite as good a fielder because of those reasons that I said. Uh, I had a decent eye. I love fielding in the slips. Yeah, I was a decent slip fielder, yeah. Memorable catches at the international level. You remember any of them? I remember pretty much all the slip catches because um, I remember my first test match actually against the West Indies in 95 and we fielded first, thankfully, because I, I was uh, quite nervous type of player and it actually suited me. I think we lost the toss at, uh, up at Old Trafford and and uh, West Indies batted and it just gave me a chance to get in the game. And I think I caught, I know I caught Courtney Walsh right at the end of the innings. Up here. I used to catch slightly differently to most people as well, Rishi. I, I sort of I caught everything in my right hand, apart from the odd time when you had to dive to your left. But it, when I caught with two hands, everything went in my right hand. So I, I sort oh. of looked slightly odd and sort of obscure, but I used to catch everything like this. So when Courtney was, I got one in there. That was, I think that was the second one. I got one before that. And when you get a good slip cat, you just, everyone pats you on the back and you, you feel part of the game. You feel like you're contributing. And in a sort of silly way, you feel that was a good time for me then to go and bat. I mean, I didn't score massively. I bad for an hour and a half in my first test match. But I, I felt that the catching had got something to do with that because I felt like I'd participated in the game uh, up until the point when that was the sort of the, my main theme was batting. So, yeah, catches were, again, you, you, without bowling a ball in international cricket, where if you're not going to do that, you want to contribute. And, and that was my way of contributing. 
1996 was really an eventful year for you, wasn't it, uh, Nick? Uh, there was also the tight test match against Zimbabwe in December, around about Christmas time. David Lloyd, the English coach's uh, comment, I'd like you to repeat that, even if you can't do David's accent. <laughs> I about murdered them, I think. It was something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, them over, murdered them. <laughs> I, I, um, you know, I look back at that game and... And people will say I played a. Uh, you know, some people might say I played a, a good hand, a, a good innings. Yeah, it was uh, for, for those of you who don't know, '96 against Zimbabwe, the game was tied. Also, a game that was really controversial because of <coughs> Zimbabwe's bowling tactics. Uh, a lot of it negative, isn't it? Outside the off stump, right, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was we were chasing. I can't remember what the run chase was, but it, it was looking unlikely. The game was sort of meandering. It didn't look like we were going to be able to chase it down. In the end, we had a go. I, I got off to a flying start. So we looked at each other and thought, well, come on, we'll have a crack at this. And, we, you know, we expected, you know, we were probably favourites. They had a good side, Zimbabwe, certainly. But we probably felt, yeah, we, we, should, we should have a go at it. Anyway, we got in a position where we could have a go at it. And then I got Paul Strang, the leg spinner, was bowling. And I just could not get him away. I just could not find the boundary frequently enough. And so the rate just started to climb a little bit. And then it's getting towards the end of the game. And then he streaked, decided that he was going to come back on. I can't remember if he was captain, but he was obviously the senior bowler. The game was just moving away from them at that point. So he decided he was going to bowl. And it was within the game. It was within the rules and rates and the laws of the game. He was bowling sort of, I don't know, miles outside off stump one ball, miles outside leg stump the next ball. So I was this sort of sitting target thinking, well, I know it's not going to be straight. It's either going to be somewhere over there or it's going to be somewhere over there. So I had little chance of getting any power or... So in the end, I had to guess a little bit. So sort of almost like, is it going to be that way? And, you know, probably fire it that way. So what I decided to do in the end was try and cut the angle down by standing outside my crease and running at him. Just so, you know, because there's only so much, you can't fire it too far wide if I'm four foot down the crease. So that had a measure of success. I managed to clip a one for six. I say I lost it. It was a game we should have won. I should have won that game for England. I mean, I got man of the match. Everyone sort of clapped and said, we've got 96 and well done. It was a great run chase and you should have, you know, it was a tight test match, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I sit here now. I should have won. I, I let the team down. I should have won that game. I bat batted all that period of time. I'd done everything I could to get us in a position. I couldn't get Paul Strang away. And then Streaky came in and did that at the end. I, I'd been in long enough to win the game. So I have slightly different feelings on it than perhaps other people would look at it. I, I, I feel I let people down. I, I should have done better. Uh, you captained your county Warwickshire and there was a county championship win in 2004 under your captaincy. It must have been really special. I'd like you to recount memories, salient features, important moments. And if I'm not mistaken, in that season came that Mammoth 303 not out uh, playing for Warwick's against Middlesex. This was Lords. And um, if I've got my stats right, uh, one out of only five people at the time to score a triple hundred at Lords. So it's mm. really a once in a lifetime achievement, isn't it? I so think, yeah. that season and, and that 303, please. Yeah, um, I think if I'm not mistaken i think it's the highest score by a left-hander at lords that's what i keep being told I, I, i've not even looked at the stats but that that of course was a it was a special moment in 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 a special season i if i'm honest with you i i didn't think we deserved to win the county championship at the start of the year because i, I wasn't thinking about the county championship we had a group of very good young players but that was it i i didn't think we would compete with some of the stronger sides who have more experienced players etc I was thinking this is a year where we can develop some of these younger players help them get a little bit better and perhaps in a few years time when I'm long gone and I'm finished I mean I was right at the end of my career there I, I was only playing for another couple of years so it was really trying to set up the club as best I could 
for some of these youngsters to, to prosper in the next couple of years. So all of a sudden, what we decided to do, we didn't get that many wins, but we didn't have a great side. So we did as well as we possibly could. So what we decided to do was if, we, if we're not in a position to win the game, which we often weren't because we weren't a great side, we're not going to lose it. And there's a fine line there. It didn't mean we set out on day one not to win and not to lose rather. And, and that means that we're just going to block everything and play negative. No, there were five occasions when we got in a position to win the game and we won all five. And there were, I don't know, 10 times when we weren't and we didn't lose any of them. And so therefore, what we engendered was was a bit more, we got a bit tougher as cricketers. We got a bit tougher, mentally tougher. And in the end, all the points that we accrued meant we got more points than anybody else. But were we the best side? I, I'm not so sure we were the best side. I mean, pr it proved to be the best because we had more points than anyone else. But were we the most talented side? No, we weren't. But we did a lot right. With, with the cricketers that we had available to pick from, we did about as well as we could. And, and for me, looking back, that, that's the best I could do as captain, was to help some of these young cricketers just toughen up a little bit. It was the emergence of someone like Jonathan Trott, of course, went on to have a, a really good, fine international career. Young Ian Bell was just starting to emerge from being a young cricketer, starting to make his way in first-class cricket. So those two in particular had good seasons. And um, we had Brad Hogg, the Australian who came in and batted well and get that many wickets. So we had we had quality players. We had a lot of youngsters. That, in the end, we managed to gel a team together that, that won the county championship. And the 303? Wow. 303. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, for anyone that's been to Lords or watched cricket at Lords or played cricket at Lords, Lords is generally a pretty flat wicket. And I can tell you on that occasion, it was particularly flat. So it was a, it was a good toss to win. I remember being, it's funny, you know, I remember being 179 not out over nine. Nancy Hayward, the South African bowler, who's bowling quite quick in those days, he hit me right on the end of day one, right here, just on that little bit there. And I sort of defended it down. And I remember thinking, that's hurt. And I, I, I've got like poppadom fingers. I've not got very strong bones at all. They, they, they break very quickly. They just sort of, they break in half. And this time I was like, yeah, that's not good. I think I might have done something here. So I went, I went in 179 not out and all night that night. I was doing the hot cold treatment, so I didn't sleep a wink, but I was sort of putting my hand in hot water, then cold water, just trying to make sure that I got something to play with. And then you know, the next day I got some strength in it. And I, I suspected I'd broken it, but I didn't know. So I went out, didn't say anything, managed to get a 303. And more importantly than that, we managed to win the game right at the end of the, the last day, day four. We managed to, I think we made them follow on and we bowled them out and we just won the game. So it was a sort of double edge for me, getting the runs, but also being captain, making sure we won. But that was it, really. I had a month off after that because I went and had an x-ray and it was completely smashed in here. So I, ma I managed to get the 303 somehow, but it's amazing what adrenaline can do for you. Um, Nick Knight is here because he's part of the panel for the Border Gavaskar Trophy, uh, the India versus Australia, new tour of Australia. Uh, first test broadcast timings, of course, 8.30 a.m. onwards, Indian Standard Time. And uh, if you're interested in catching the second test, which is the Boxing Day test, that's 26 December, 5 a.m. onwards. On Sony 6, you get the English Tamil and Telugu broadcast, Sony 10.1, you get the English broadcast, and Sony 10.3, you get the Hindi broadcast. And uh, Nick, want to come to your broadcasting career? You, you know, uh, some quality time spent at Sky Sports, you know, great broadcasters. You've been part of the team in so many games. Any important ones you remember? Unforgettable stuff sitting in the commentator's box or the anchor studio? <sighs> Gosh, there's so many. I, I've been so lucky. I mean, I've done the job for 13 or 14 years, so ever since I finished playing. Um, I, I guess when you ask that question, I'm thinking, was it 2016 when England lost the final of the World T20 when Brathwaite 
we hit four sixes. I was there for that. So that was a great memory for an Englishman, but it was a great game, a great finish, a great tournament. It just had a very special feel, the whole tournament. So that that was that was pretty. I think as a broadcaster, you you love the cricket that you see in front of you, but you also love the occasion, like you did as a player. You love the occasion. So when you come broadcast in India with the atmosphere of the grounds, you know, Calcutta, Eden Gardens, you've got hundred thousand people. You're sat there with the mic, and you you feel you, a you feel what it's like because you were there as a player. But you feel the energy, you feel the event, you feel the occasion. And I think that, A, helps you with your job. But also, if you're like me, I absolutely love cricket. I mean, I am a complete cricket nuffy. I mean, I sit and listen to cricket, watch cricket, follow cricket, follow cricketers all the time. It's, it's, it's my life. It's what I, what I love. And so if you're lucky enough to have the mic in hand and be at these grounds, I mean, you're so lucky. I'm so lucky. Um, so from that perspective, many of those games uh, you know, in England, some of the some of the matches we've seen, England, of course, have become an exceptional side now in one day cricket. But they've been a good side for a little while now. So following them and some of the successes they've had has been unbelievable. Um, 2012, England were an outstanding Test match side. They had some outstanding players: you know, Petersons, the Strauss, the Cook, the Trots, all these guys that were leading um, England to the top of the world. So some of those memories, yeah, I mean, there you go. I mean, just to be able to commentate and be a part of some of those memories um, is very special. And being here in India for the India Oz series, that must be special with the Aussie legend Glenn McGrath in studio. <laughs> Do you know what? I'll, le- I'll let you know about that at the end of the tour. <laughs> uh, you know, I've only been here for a few days and, and I've, had, I've had dinner with him a few times and uh, it's amazing. It, it's, it's, again, one of the, the beauties of, of the job we do. I mean, I, spent, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I played against Australia, probably 25, 30, I don't know. I, I reckon he got the better of me on 29 occasions out of the 30. I, I had him once. I got him at Melbourne when I stayed leg side of the ball, managed to get him through the offside. And I reckon that's the only time in 30 games where I, I can sort of tick it and say, yeah, I beat you today. But all those other occasions, he got me. And we were talking about that the other night, actually, over dinner. So... And, and and what you do when you, you have a job like this and you're lucky enough to have a job like this is spend time socially with people who you perhaps wouldn't have spent time with. I mean, you've got to go back to our area. I think the game's a lot more friendly now than it was when we played. So, yes, yeah, sure, when we played at the SCG against Australia and Glenn McGrath got you out for the 29th time, you'd still go and have a beer in the dressing rooms after the series or after the game. But that was the extent of it. You know, we, we didn't play World Series games around the world in IPLs and whatever at Big Bash, we weren't that, that world didn't exist when we played. So the familiarity between myself and say someone like Glenn McGraw was was on the pitch. That was it. And he'd mutter away and give you a few words and you'd play and miss and he'd come down and mutter away again. And and we 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 now have a laugh about that. So we're now talking about that now over the last 20 years, 30 years, whatever it was. But we never got a chance to talk about that at the time because we didn't know each other socially. So now we know each other a bit better socially. So it, it's one of the benefits of, of being able to get to know people that perhaps you didn't see that side of them that you did when you see when you're on the pitch. Your favorite Indian players over the sands of time and your current favorite Indian players. So just look back over your shoulder and you know what you see now, people you've really uh, been impressed by. I mean, I, I, a little bit like I alluded to earlier, I, I was incredibly lucky. I, Sachin obviously was coming through at that point and you had Dravid, Rahul Dravid. I mean, my, my first A tour was 94. So in that A tour, England A versus India, you had Ganguly, Dravid, Laxman. Wow. So it was really, it was really the first time that someone of my ability, which was limited 
very limited when you compare it to, say, Ganguly drive. So you, you go on that tour and you think you're doing okay and you come to play in Indian conditions and I'd never played in India before and you've got Dravid, Ganguly, Laxman smashing it everywhere and you start thinking, I've got a long way to go, by the way, until I become half decent because these guys are so much better than me. And 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 they ended up being so much better than me. But, but that was the first time, really, that I'd seen players of that quality, you know, on an international aid tour. And, and obviously you follow and you play against them in, in the years, in the years to come. So they, they'd be special players that I would have followed. Um, Srinath was someone I admired. Fast bowling in, in India in, at that time wasn't that, you know, it's not what it was now. Sure. Not what yeah. it, absolutely. I mean, you know, you've got, you got three or four, five, six, they're queuing up now in India. Uh, but it was Jabagol Srinath opened the bowling with Venkatesh Prasad. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that was it. Sweet Bengalians, yeah, but, but Srini was like was like the the kind of figurehead. You know, he was the sort of the go-to bowler. And I remember playing. I hope you don't mind me to, to going off on one here. But I played against him at Calcutta, Eden Gardens, and and for for an English guy to play in Calcutta with a hundred thousand people <laughs> was almost like the dream of cricket. That, uh, you know, that was it. You know, you play at the MCG or you can play at the SCG or play around the world. But to play in front of 100,000 people in Calcutta was just something you just tick off. So we won the toss. Myself and Marcus Driscothi went out to bat. Marcus got a single or whatever he did. I was on strike. Javagal was running in. And he used to bowl these sort of big in-swingers to the left-hander. So, I, uh, you know, this was in the day pre-DRS, of course. So, the, you know, decisions were decisions and you walk off. And I, I played this down the line, missed it. And it pitched, honestly, no joke, pitched that far outside. I can extend that. It took that far outside leg stump, LBW out. First ball. First ball. 100,000 people, the dream of playing in, and I didn't even get a run. Not one run. And I was out first ball. And, and to make it worse, you can imagine, you go back to the, the old dressing rooms, which is still, I think they're still the same there now. You go underneath and round. And I sat there taking my pads off, and the replay was up above me. And I just kept seeing the replay. And it, and it was that far. And I'm like, oh, in one moment. Well, I can't remember who the umpire was, but... I was like so frustrated, but anyway, yeah. So, so I've got some fond memories of of, of playing against India. Got a hundred against them. Luckily, played a Test match or two against them. Um, Sachin managed to go from ninety four to a hundred at Edgbaston with a six off Min Patel. So it's an easy game for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, just unbelievable. I remember fielding it slip many times to Sachin and to Good Ganguly and to Laxman, and particularly in this part of the world here. You stand at slip and you may as well go to sleep because the ball's not coming. <laughs> the ball's not coming to you. I mean, whether it's Darren Goff, Andy Caddick, Dominic Cork, Mark uh, Angus Fraser, no matter who it is, however good the bowler is, it's not coming my way. So I may as well not be there. And I don't think I ever got a catch at slip in India because they don't nick it. I mean, it's just irrelevant. But you have to have someone there because you, you, you've got to. But So that, that was great. Indian current players, I am a huge fan of Shubman Gill. I saw him play for the first time in uh, the Junior World Cup a couple of years ago. And that was, of course, when he opened. I think he opened. I think he came in at three. Pretty sure opened the batting. So I saw him play a few times there, and I instantly became a, a huge fan. I love the way he lines up technically. Alignment's excellent. Temperament clearly is very good because uh, he scores big runs when he gets a chance. I think he's going to be a superstar of the future. I hope he gets a chance in this Test match series. It, he might do. I, I don't know which way the selector's going to go, but I, I, I see him as being a, a huge star. Now, the current series is going to be a tough one for both teams. And it's a nice segue to get into the batting. Virat Kohli is going back, Nick, after the first pink ball test on, on paternity leave. Rohit Sharma is only going to be available for the third test. 
which is uh, Sydney. So, who are you looking at amongst the other India batters to to come in and do the job? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I, if it was me sat here right now with a day to go, I would go. Um Mayanka Garwal, who I, I mean, I worked on the series here two years ago. He, he, he really impressed me. I hadn't seen much of him beforehand. I, I just love the way he burst on the scene and just took the game of test match cricket. Like, you know, there's us faffing around trying to make the best we can. Here's a guy who just announced himself in test match cricket. I'm like, wow, okay. Um, and he's clearly gone on from, to, from strength to strength. So I like him. I, I would, I think I would go him and, and Shubman Gill to open. I know it's a bit, tough on Shubman Gill in terms of, you know, against an Australian attack in Australian conditions, it, you are perhaps making him a bit, little bit vulnerable. But I, I think he's a good player. I think he'll cope. You could go KL Rahul. I, I think I would probably go those two. Um, Pajara obviously at three, Kohli at four, uh, Rahani at five. I, I like Vahari. I saw him a little bit. I saw him in the, in the warm-up games. And then I'd probably go Pant at, at seven. And then your bowlers probably Umesh with, with the others, with, with Ashwin and, and Shami and Bumrah. So that, that's probably the way I would go. But again, you know, Prithvi Shaw is an interesting one. I, I still like the way he plays. I, I would go Shubman Gill ahead of him because I think he's going to be a better player. But that's not to say that Prithvi Shaw is not going to be a very good player himself. I mean, clearly he is a very good player. I think he averages 55 in a handful of test matches. So the problem for the selectors there is do you stick with someone who's got an average of, you know, a decent average and playing well, but perhaps missed a chance to really impress in the warm-up games? That's their choice. I, as I say, I keep going back. I, I, I would go Shubman Gill. Uh, Nick, Shami, Bumrah and Yadav are almost a certainty for India if you look at the bowling. Would you play two spinners, R. Ashwin and Kuldeep Yadav? Or are you just going to say four seamers in Australian conditions and either Ashwin uh, or Kuldeep? Well, it's a difficult question to answer without seeing the pitch. I mean, I played at Adelaide. Um, it's a day-night match. So you're starting to think more towards the seamers than the spinners. Uh, I just looked actually before half an hour ago, I was looking at some stats and I think the seamers record is so much better in day-night cricket at Adelaide. So with that bearing bearing that in mind, I'd be pushing my my sort of thoughts more towards having the seamers and perhaps just one spinner. Again, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Ashwin. I've seen him bowl very very well to England's English sides over the years. I, I would probably edge towards towards Ashwin. Um, and play Umesh and, and Shami and Bumrah. That, that's probably how I would line up. But we might get there and come on air on Thursday morning and there's no grass on the pitch and you might be thinking differently, but I suspect that's not going to be the case. And if, if it's as we suspect, I, I would probably go with, with Seamers and, uh, and, and probably have the spinner. Just Australia's open, opening combination, Nick. I mean, Warner's injured. Bukowski has had another knock on the head. Who are you looking to be as the likely opening combination with those blokes not being around? Yeah, again, that's a real tough one. Uh, my instant thoughts were more towards uh, Manus Labuschagne. I, I was thinking, well, if he bats three and, and has done it pretty well, why can't you just slot him into the opening role and then just sort of feed it down from there? I think a lot of it depends on Cam, Cameron Green, who's got a concussion issue. Uh, if he's fit... Then, then that maybe changes my mind a little bit. I, I'm just concerned that if I put Manus Labuschagne up to the top, just whether there's enough firepower in the middle, in the middle overs. And, it, and, the, and they the have called up Marcus Harris. So you're saying yeah, with Marcus Harris. I, I'm a bit worried about Joe Burns because he's not yeah. scoring any runs. And I, I see him playing the warm-up games and I'm thinking, I don't know where his confidence levels are right now. So I'm thinking Marcus Harris. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's, he's setting up okay. 
He's played Test cricket before. He might be someone I'd pick, probably. It's just whether I, if I don't go Manus Labuschagne, I mean, they're talking in the press about about Wade, but I don't think he's in. I think that's he's not even opened in first class cricket. I mean, to, to suddenly put him into a Test match against Bumrah, Shami, Yada on a pitch that might do a little bit under lights. Ooh, that's a tough. That's a tough ask. So I think when it comes down to it, I probably I've got to find an opener from somewhere, but I probably would stick Labuschagne in the middle. I'd probably keep him at three or four, depending where Smith wants to go, and then have Travis Head at five, and then hopefully if Cameron Green's fit, I'd probably slot him in at six, and then you can go from there with with, with Payne and India Bowlers and, and Nathan Lyon. But it's it's a real problem for them to get some stability at the top. But I probably would go Marcus Harris and a another. Interesting, uh, you know Cameron Green. Uh, impressive performance in the warm-up game against India. Mm. Everybody's raving about him. Nick, what do you make of uh, of the lad? Uh, to be honest, I haven't seen a huge amount of him. Uh, what I have seen, I'm impressed like everybody else. He looks he looks strong. He looks like he can bowl long for long periods of time. He's got very strong action, gets it through, strong batting. So, yeah, I mean, any side that can produce a, an all-rounder to bat at number six, like England have done now, for quite some time with Ben Stokes. It helps with balance of side, etc. I hope he's okay because I'd love to see him play. Uh, uh, you know, When you see a young kid come through, burst onto international scene, you just want to see him have a go and you want to see how they're going to go and you want to see him against the best sides in the world. And India will be a, a great challenge for him. You know, Ashwin against him, we won't have seen too much if Ashwin plays. You know, the expectation level is, is very different. And all of a sudden, when you're um, a little bit like I was saying at the, at the start with our discussion, I don't think many people would have had a huge expectation when I first started. I was just a player out of county cricket doing what other people had done. I wasn't a, you know, someone who burst onto the scene and suddenly, oh my God, how's he going to go? We're really expecting great things. And that just builds a little bit of pressure on you and how you're going to cope with that. So th- that'd be something slightly different for him to deal with. We don't know how he'll do that. But one thing is for sure, he's a huge talent. It's never easy playing Australia anywhere, leave alone playing Australia and Australia. How did you personally deal with the pressure tactics, the sledging in particular, whilst uh, playing against Oz? Did you give some of it back, Nick? Or did you just stay very still and calm? (laughs) Or did you go the Sachin way or the Kohli way? In India, you say the Sachin way or the Kohli way. (laughs) I, um, I think if I'd have been as good as Virat Kohli, I'd have been pretty happy to give plenty back. But when you when you when you had the mindset that I had, and and I, I I'm not belittling myself, but I when I was, you know, I was just trying to make my way in international career and do the best I can. I, I wasn't this sort of standout figure that everyone was paying twenty bucks to go and watch. I, I was someone who was just trying to do my job, do it as well as I possibly could, get the get the runs, get the satisfaction from your team winning, and and that way around. I, I wasn't sort of one of these iconic figures. And I, and I didn't feel comfortable. My character didn't allow me. Glenn McGrath was muttering away. I'm just, I'm just keeping quiet. I'm walking away. I'm keeping quiet and let the bat do the talking. And that, that was my character. And that's how I would deal with Fair it. Enough. Now, there are other players who would, would kind of enjoy that and give plenty back. And that was what got them going. And that was almost what they needed to really get the best out of themselves. For me to get the best out of myself, I'll just quietly chip away. And if Glenn McGraw bowls a short wide one, I'll hit you for four. If Glenn McGraw bowls one on my hip, I'll hit you for four. If he bowls a good ball, I'll either nick it or play and miss. And that's my level. That's where I'm at. And so I'll just keep churning away and doing what I do best and give myself the best chance. I wouldn't be giving myself the best chance if I was waiting for Glenn McGrath to chip away at me and then me fight back because I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that.
And I, and I think you, you kind of find your level. Your favorite cricket commentators or broadcasters of all time are, you know, from around the world, who you've admired in the past, continue to admire if they're still active. Would you name them? I mean, I was from an era where I played the Richie Benno's. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ian Chappell, many of the Channel 9 commentators from, from that era were, were terrific to, to listen to. Um, so you know, I, I kind of grew up. That was my staple diet as a player. So when I'm watching cricket at that age, I'm listening to, to those guys. I thought they were unbelievable. I thought they added so much to the event. Mo- modern day, I mean, we've got some terrific commentators in the modern game now. I, I mean, in all countries. Uh, we were lucky enough to work alongside Ian Smith from New Zealand, of course, when he, he commentated that the last rights of that World Cup win for England. I mean, they become iconic moments really yeah. where where you it, it just you 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 struggle as a commentator to add to a moment like the winning runs in a world cup but ian smith did that absolutely did that and it, it just became you know obviously the moment was was that kind of get back for two but the way ian smith described that was just phenomenal and i know i've always and i you know i know him pretty well as a bloke he's fantastic guy as well you know we've got some terrific commentators back at home as well here in india uh, everyone brings something slightly different to to what they do but it's it's a it's a great art that, that i think you you never you're always learning and you're always trying to understand how other people do it and perhaps what they do well and how we can add to to your game like like you do as a player you know you're constantly traveling down down the escalator or up the escalator and you're always trying to add little bits to it and, and subtract bits that don't work and so it's it's a great game your thoughts on the concussion sub-rule? I mean, uh, the like-for-love uh, sub-controversy in the India-Australia T20 series. The Aussies didn't think Chahal was a like-for-like for Jadeja. Your thoughts and, you know, can we modify this rule? What are your thoughts, Nick? I mean, some people are even saying, let's go back to the super sub of 2003-2004. You know, something we tried for a couple of years in the game and then just gave up on it. So, your thoughts on the concussion sub? I, I don't, I'm not against it. I, I mean, you know, with all these new le- regulations and laws... It, Unfortunately, there's always going to be instances where you think, oh, do you know what, does that fit? You know, and you, your example there earlier, D- does that quite work? Is that fair? <sighs> As I say, there's always going to be those incidents. But I quite like it. As I say, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think the way the game is now, it's very different. In fact, Glenn and I were talking about this the other night. You know, when we, when we played, I got hit, I don't know how many times on the helmet. And all, all we did was just brush yourself down and take your helmet off and, the, the physio would run on with another helmet. That was a bit of a protocol. Once your helmet got hit, then you get another one, and and you carry on. And, and, and therefore, it doesn't become the talking point um, at the end of a game because you carry on. Now, I'm not saying we should have carried on. I'm not saying I, I agree now with the, the game as it is now. I think is in a better place for what's happening than it was in, when we played. So I, I do agree with the rule, uh, the laws. I, I do agree with the way the game is going. And it's become much more of an issue than it was years and years ago, which, I mean, in the rugby world now, we're finding you know, early signs of dementia, et cetera, with all the things that are going on. Those guys would have done what we did, probably just get a, a hit and, and knock yourself around, shake yourself about and carry on. Now, now clearly that's not, you know, not great. And hopefully, you know, and, and cricket, you know, we probably had, you're not comparing the same hits at all, but a lot of us would have got hits many, many times. But because it wasn't the talking point, as I say, at the end of the game, perhaps it wasn't addressed like it needed to be and perhaps it wasn't addressed like it's being now. So uh, in a long-winded way, yeah, I think it's the game is going in the right direction and these things should be encouraged. And you, you literally saw the evolution of the switch hit courtesy uh, KP. 
<laughs> what do you think of the switch state? I mean, a lot of people are saying, let's outlaw it. You know, how can this happen? If bowlers allowed only one over the shoulder, how can batsmen be allowed to uh, innovate like this? Your thoughts on that, Nick? I, I have some, I, as a former batsman, I say this quietly, but I do have some sympathy with the bowlers. I mean, when, when you look at um, the game, for me, and hopefully we're going to have this in the next five days in Adelaide, I, I want to see a contest. I want to see a contest between bat and ball. And that's my slight concern with one-day cricket, actually, whilst we're on that. I, I, I think that the move to two white balls has been slightly counterproductive in the sense that I, I think the reason that it was, was first brought back in was to try and help the bowlers. So John redressed the balance a little bit. Actually, it's gone the other way. It's helped the batsmen. So I, I think we should go back to one, one white ball. The ball get a bit older. And, that, and that, ironically, I think that will help the bowlers at the back end of the game. Because we need a contest. You know, it's great to see 400s. It's great, great to see batsmen smashing fours and sixes. But if I'm, I love the game of cricket and I want to see something for the bowlers as well. It might be reverse swing. It might be uh, a little bit more seam movement. And so my fear is uh, the switch it I loved. I mean, I played the reverse sweeps a lot when, when I played. And it's the same theory. You know, you've got a field set for a right-hander. You become a left-hander or what, whichever way around you go. And it's tough on the bowler. You know, he, he, he's bowling for you to play as a left-hander and suddenly you switch. The switch it is great to watch. I just want to see bowlers have a little bit more in their favour. And, and I, I agree totally with people that fear for, for the bowlers in this instance. I mean, if batsmen are out to change, why, why can't bowlers? Well, my last question is more a lifestyle question. In your downtime away from the game as a broadcaster, do you enjoy playing any other sport uh, or listening to music? For example, what's on your phone, your passion areas, Nick? I'm, by my own admittance, I'm an incredibly simple chap. I, I don't... Um, I. I, I I'm, we've got a bit of land at home and we go out to you know, my family, young family, and we go out and, and, and I'm just happy to look after the grounds and cut the grass and get on the mowers and do stuff like that. I just want to be outside. I want to, I'm a country lad. I'm not a city boy. I'm not, I don't need to be at restaurants every night. I don't need to be going to the cinema. I don't need necessarily socializing all the time. I, I'm, a, I'm a quiet lad. I like to get out in, in the countryside and enjoy being outside. So, you know, sit me on a mower and cut grass all day. I'm as happy as Larry. Okay. I know it's really boring. I know it's really dull, but it kind of works for me. Yeah. Glenn McGrath says that about himself. He says he's a boy from the bush. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've had a few chats about that over dinner. We, we've got something in common. Yeah. We, we're more than happy um, getting outside and, and getting on with it. Well, what about what about music? Do you like your rock and roll? Do you like your no. pop? Yeah. Not really. I, 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 don't, I just put the radio on and I'll listen to anything. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how dull. That's how dull it is. Uh, I mean, we've got these, we've got these lovely rooms here we're staying in, and I, I barely have the telly on. I know, let alone music. Um, so yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily need all the the sort of mod cons and music and TV, but but uh, hey, I'm a simple lad. Nick Knight, uh, you know, we really enjoyed uh, all the entertainment you gave us on the pitch in your playing days. And we certainly are enjoying all your incredible broadcasting. Uh, you definitely are one of the best in the world. And it's wonderful that uh, we have you uh, to listen to, to watch in the India Australia series. Have yourself a good one and uh, hope to speak to you soon. Cheers. Thank have you. a safe thank and happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes. Yes, it will be slightly different this year. But thank you very much. Happy Christmas to you. Take care.